Welcome to Bubbles and Bitches. Here's part two of our interview with Miss Kim Valentine. Really hope you enjoy the rest of her journey and it was a pleasure spending time with her. Make sure you follow us on all of our social media, including Instagram at Bubbles with B&D and go join our super secret Facebook group, The Champagne Room. Hope you enjoy. I'm a week into my notice and I get my orders that I get recalled. Oh my God. So now nobody has an obligation to give me a job when I come back. So I go to Frank and I, my, you know, the new firm and I said, you know, here's my order. And Frank does MedMal. He does MedMal and PI. Yes. So I go to him and I say, here's my orders. You know, I understand you don't have an obligation to give me a job when I come back. And he says to his credit, um, come find me when you get back and I will give you a job. I will make a job for you. And so therein lies my loyalty that I yeah. then ended up having That's with him. Awesome. Frank. That was that so he great. Was, yeah. So I Frank that. becomes this is he a, becomes this a very is a pivotal, big moment. He becomes a very pivotal person in my life because he sort of fulfills the father figure yes. role for me uh-huh. ultimately. So I do end up coming back and working for that firm, and I work directly How long under was Frank. Your- I ended up oh, luckily, you know. Uh, Props to President Clinton at the okay. time. Um, I'm not gone give for a good too shout long. out to him. Yeah, I, know, right? I wish he was like back. <laughs> yeah, all right. I know. I, I wish anybody, back, anybody, anybody, anybody. Too. But anyway, okay, Please. we can talk for days about that. We're yes, not going down that road. So, um, but yeah, uh, so I actually was sort of one of the last people that was recalled. So it actually worked out because I only was gone for like a couple of months. Before and where uh, did the, you go? I only ended up going to uh, Camp Pendleton. Oh, oh so yeah. I didn't end up. But that actually sort of is kind of a funny story all by itself because you oh know everything God. with me has a funny story. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So the way it works. So the military was so much more unorganized than people ever realized. So I figured it out. I show up, and they have like a long list of people's names, and they they do like roll call, but it's not like, okay, you're on this list. And then these people are on list B. It's a shit show. It's one list. One and it's long. a complete and total shit show. Like oh I'm telling you, God. like they have, they have no. all this in these barracks. There's no food. Mm-hmm. There's making, no making bags. Right now. It's totally. And that's why I'm saying it was so unorganized. And so when all they know is that they have a list of people and you need to be on the list, that's all they had. So then what they do is they start separating people and they're like, you from here, from like that pole over to the right, you go get on that bus. On the left, everybody from this pole over, you go get on that bus. And then I just keep moving because I'm like, I don't want to get on that bus. I don't want to get on that bus either because on a bus, you're going to freaking Afghanistan or wherever. And I'm so like, I don't want to get on that bus. Going. So I just kept moving. I'm like, I'm going to get in the middle. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do what. And so I just kept moving to whichever moving group was going to gonna stay. Yeah. <laughs> because I have my kids are here. And yeah. it was and such a shit show. They would you, not fucking know. They, yeah. And they didn't. And mind you, at this point, Marshall had to go live with like his best friend's family. So he's interested. Oh. Rodney who my, at this point I've only been dating for a matter of months, but I have nobody to take my kids. He yeah. gets his cousin who has young children. I can't fucking believe To take Brie. 
So Bree goes and lives with his cousin, who literally I barely even knew. Oh my goodness. So I'm dying because I'm like, my kids are. I need to be back with my kids. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, so I'm all about, I need to, I don't, I need to at least stay in the state of California. Yeah. Right? I need to be here. Mm-hmm. So I did that whole like, you know, shuffle until I landed in the place that was staying here. But anyway, that was short lived. <laughs> I go back to Frank. Frank gives me a job. He literally creates a job for me. And so I start working for him as a paralegal and I'm seriously like, I blossom very quickly working for him as a paralegal. But what was funny even about that is as I'm working for him, one day he calls me into his office and he says, okay, so you're clearly very bright and you are clearly very undereducated. And I looked at him and I said, like, so I kind of thought maybe I was playing that off. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like... He's like, no, he's like, not so much. And so then he proceeds to, but again, pivotal moment. So then he proceeds to tell me, you really need to go to law school. Like, but you, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle because your lack of education is very telling. So your writing skills are very poor. And so you're going to struggle in any kind of a writing class. Okay, so let me tell you, best thing they ever said to me, as much as it was so hard to hear at mm-hmm. the time, right? But I'm going to tell you this. So in law school, you, you, if you, if you graduate right, period. in your class, at the top of your class, like if you are the number one person in that class, it's called Amjur. Okay. I Amjured every single class that I ever took that had oh to do with writing. Gosh. Every single one. I Amjured, I took a- How? Because yeah. I was so over conscientious. I was just super, I mean, it was like, I knew that that wow. was a weakness for me. So I knew I had to work twice as hard Did he as keep tabs you on that overperformed. Did he keep tabs on that? Did he ever notice? I, I don't know. I mean, it okay. was really apparent. Like I, I was going at such like lightning speed. I mean, I was sitting through trials with him. I was, even in my last semester of law school, I actually got to take a deposition. And in my deposition, I'm a law student and I'm taking the deposition of this person that's an FDA um, on a 10K. Like, it was crazy. So, I mean, I was, I was. Time out, whoa, first of all. Yeah. Well, how did you, how did you amateur? Like, you just worked extra, extra hard to just. Because think about everything that you are putting yes. into the document. And because writing like, is something that it's uh, to me, I, I very much believe that writing is a learned skill. Like you can learn to be a better writer. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. You absolutely. Oh, yes. And it's practice. Yes. It's yes. really yes. practice, right? So I just knew that I had to put a lot of extra time. And you have to remember, okay. So here I sit, like my first day in law school. So I'm sitting in class. I remember like thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to go to law school. Like who would have ever thought? Because when I went to paralegal school, I kid you not, I was so proud to even be in paralegal school because Mm -hmm. I thought, oh my God, this is it. Like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Like I was so proud that I had like this job. And then it, it never, ever occurred to me when I was doing that, that I could ever be a lawyer because I was so uneducated. I had a GED, like I was so uneducated. So, and at that point I hadn't even gone back to like college yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it never, ever even crossed my mind that I would ever even be able to do that. Okay. And so then as, you know, I go along and I'm, I'm, my confidence is growing. Um, mind you, I'm still a complete asshole as a human being. I mean, I'm at work. How they didn't fire me. I have actually gone back to them and say, why did you not fire me? Because I was so awful. You know, we talk about like that, that like anger. I would like threaten to beat people up. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There was like a secretary and she like pissed me off. And I mean, she like came and got in my face and I literally was like, bitch, you better get out of my face before I kick yeah. your ass. 
Okay. I should oh, so have been fired we for that. take her to the quiet woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I so should have been fired for that. Like, I should have. And the way I talk to them, like, I would get all in their face and be like, what are you thinking? Why are you doing this? No, 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 no. You need to do X, Y, Z. And I mean, I was all, I was so opinionated. I w- but I was, but what I said was right. It wasn't that I was just like, you know, no, but you shit. were, <laughs> but like still, I mean, so how, is, that, is that why they said like, okay, that's why we kept you because no, you it were, is. They actually right. said, they said I was a diamond in the rough and yeah. that they could tell yes, you fucking are. that I was a diamond in the rough. And so they knew if they could just, not the right approach, but right. Yeah. right. But if we, <laughs> so they were like, well, we just work on her presentation. Yes. That maybe <laughs> she could make it right. So anyway. Well, Frank saw that you are were going to become something. That's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And that goes back to like what you were saying, like certain people, like, you know, as just like as, as a human, you have to just open yourself. Like you don't know if you're going to be a certain person, somebody mm-hmm. just be open to who you're interacting with. And, and he, and he was one of your somebody. Oh, he 100% he was. he saw that in you. Yeah. He 100% was one of my somebody's. Like, there's no question about it. Like, I don't think... You know, my somebody's in my life, obviously my friend Jen, obviously Rodney. Rodney was like, because he was super supportive of everything that I did. Um, And Frank was super, super imperative in being that somebody as well. Because um, I feel like without him and the things that he said and how that like motivated me to be a better person and motivated me to work harder. And that, and the fact that he planted that seed again, you know, things don't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you plant that seed and then I'm like, okay, I need to make sure that I prove him wrong. And there's always that too. You know? Yeah. I want you to tell our listeners too, how you got your, um, how you, how you became a lawyer. You went we didn't talk about that specifically. So you went and you got your AA. I got my AA and then I took the um, LSAT and then I started law school. I mean, okay. I just, I was accepted into at Western State, which thank okay. God for Western State because, you know, there's not a lot of law schools that would allow you to do that. I sat there my first day of law school and I remember thinking, I am the dumbest person in this room. So my attitude when I had been, when I was in school, because when you I was did young, not have to, you didn't, com- you didn't get your BA. Oh, you didn't, right. you didn't and you were older. Okay. Yeah. So you were a little so bit older. I was, I was older than the rest of the people in the school, most of them. And so I, you know, when I was growing up in school, I always, I competed against myself like that. I was, that was always how I was. I remember when, when Marshall was like 14, he wasn't doing his homework. Uh, I called my mom and asked my mom, how'd you make me do my homework? And she said, well, I never made you do your homework. You oh. just did it. Like you were very, like, I was very disciplined about that. Like I was just sort of self-driven. So I kind of had that going for me, but I remembered sitting in school that first day and thinking, okay, you need to, you need to lower your standards. You're all about (laughs) having like the best grade in the class. And so you need to lower your standards because you're, this is it. Like you, all you have to do is get through law school. You have to pass the bar. That's it. Like, that's all you got to do. Nobody's going to care what your grade looks like. All they care about is you just have to pass the bar. So... I literally did. I lowered my standards. And as I proceeded to go through that first year, I got through it. And at the end of the first year, I look back and I said, okay, you know, that really wasn't that hard. And so I feel like maybe I need to, um, maybe I need to actually try to become the best in my class because that really wasn't that hard. And why am I not trying to reach the same level that I would always try to reach. And so the following year that went back to being my goal to try to be the number one in my class. And I think I entered like, I don't know, six or seven classes after that. 
and I graduated like really high in my, and the worst semester I had was the first semester where I didn't try. When I, wow. I can't say I didn't try. I mean, let me rephrase that because, you know, law school is hard. So of course I'm trying, but I wasn't trying to be the best. I was just trying to get through it because that was all I thought I was capable of. And then once I set the goal of, okay, well now you know that you're clearly capable of being here. So now you need to actually try to be the best. Then I was like, even when I was pregnant, I got pregnant with Corey while I was in law school and I am doing you, you got pregnant with Corey while you were in law school. I got married. So I married Rodney. Okay. So I, I was working full time, <laughs> going to school. I have planned a wedding, got <clears throat> married, um, and then also was pregnant with Corey at one okay. point while I was in law school as well. So lots of things happened. My dad died when I was in law school, um, even actually the first semester of law school. So that mm. was tough. And at this point, how... So my relationship... God, there's so much, but... Well, let me you, tell you. So my relationship with my parents... Um, you knew where I was going. I okay. did. So let me tell you. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my... So the great thing that happened um, is after I met my biological mom and all of that happened, then okay. it, I had this realization that of how much worse my life might have been had I actually grown up with her instead of with my adoptive parents. And... I think that we all have this ability to sort of like fix things in our own mind to get to a point that works for us. And that's what worked for me. And so I, I had this uncanny, a lucky ability to be very mature at this point for my age. And so I, I, knowing that my parents were, you know, now in their sixties and I, I thought to myself, they're not going to be here forever. Yeah. And you have, a really long time to live your life after they're gone. And so you better fix this with them so that you don't have regrets when okay. they're gone. Because you're going to Do you live... think you would have had regrets? Yeah. Okay. Because it was just all so unsettled. And I, I at that point... did it to you. I know. But at that point, I had come to realize, like, I was never going to get an apology. I was never going to get... An, because they don't know. A, no, because in their mind, they did the absolute best that they could. And they did what they learned because they were raised in, you know, the thirties and, you know, I mean, that's what, how life was. So they didn't know any different. And so okay. that's what I sort of had to, I had to come to that realization that my mom wasn't trying to be awful. She was trying to do the best that she could do with me. And the great thing about but that. But she didn't break the cycle, obviously. She was treated like that as a kid too, right? Yeah. Exactly. And so for me, that was the goal. The goal was I needed to make sure that I was different with my kids. And, and at this point, were you with your biological mom or biological, you know, she really wasn't a mom, but. Yeah, I call her my biological mom. Okay. So was she, how, what was the standing in that situation? So, well, I tried really hard, like I said, for a while to, you know, be able to maintain a relationship with her, but she just was such a different person than me. And she actually, I, so once I moved back to California from Maryland, I made a commitment to myself that no one would ever physically touch me ever again, that I would okay. never be in a, I'd never put myself in a situation where I'd allow anybody to be violent with me. And so we were at my house one day, it was my sister's birthday and my mom, you know, my biological mom was trying to trying to actually get Shay to do something, my sister to go with her and wasn't going well. And so 
you know, I told Shay she needed to leave and it turned into, it escalated into the point where my biological mom actually tried to physically push me out of my own house and keep Shay in the house. And she pushed me out of my front door onto the sidewalk in front of my kids. And so that was it. I said, I promised myself that I would never allow anybody to do this. I didn't really think I was going to have to exclude my mother from that, you know, yeah. but, but I did because I was like, I, it didn't matter who you were at that point. I had made that determination that nobody was ever going to do that to me. So I, I severed my ties with her at that point okay. and said, I don't want her to be in my life because I don't want her to, um, I don't want my kids to be exposed to this because, you know, obviously my intentions with, you know, making sure that nothing like that ever happened again. Marshall saw way more things than he should have ever saw. I didn't want Bree. Now she's a little girl. I don't want her to grow up and think that, you know, yeah. these physical violence is actually like an okay or normal thing. So I, um, so I, that's why I made that decision. So once she was also now physically violent, I was like, I can't have How her How old my life. were you then? You know, that was only maybe a couple of years after I met her. So I was probably 23 maybe. Okay. Okay. So, so I tried a couple of times, you know, to, um, you know, my sisters continue to have a relationship with her. It made it very difficult to not have her in my life at all. I let her come to my house a couple of times. She had to have like hip replacement surgery and I let her rehab at my house and Whoa. I let her, but I couldn't, that's a big deal. I know, but, but I couldn't be there. Turn her away. I couldn't turn her away, but then I couldn't be there either. Oh yeah. I just like, I just, I just had such a hard time with her. I, and it's funny. One of my friends actually said to me, like, you always find all these like redeeming qualities in everybody. Why can't you do it with her? And I was like, I don't know, but I couldn't, I couldn't find them in her. Something. Yeah. It's really sad. I just couldn't find them in her. So I tried, like I said, really hard to, um, you know, to find a common ground with her, but I just really was never able to do so. And then about 10 years ago, she died from a dissecting aortic aneurysm. Okay. So that, um, that was a whole other, you know, I mean, it's just, again, one of those chapters in your life. I went to Reno with my sisters to take them there to go and, uh, and, uh, to, um, help clean out her house. Mm. And I remember going and thinking, I'm going to go, I'm going to be with checkbook. I'll pay for everything that needs to be paid for. I know I'll pay for a funeral, all that. Um, but I thought it would be like very unemotional for me. And little did I know that it would end up actually being one of the most emotional things I did. Because then when I was there, like, it's funny, like none of us ever knew who our dads were. None of those siblings knew who our dads were. And so we were, you know, we walked, I mean, the description of like, when I walked to her house and she like lived in this very... Um, you know, kind of trashy part of Reno. So my first view as I walked to her front yard was she had like rocks in the front yard with a dead rose bush that was tied with a rope to a stake with a blue plastic chrysanthemum stuck in front of the dead rose bush. What? And that was the front yard. Oh my God. Whoa. So I get there and I see that and I'm like, <coughs> okay. So then we walk inside and as we walk inside, you know, the first thing that I see is a paper plate with a bunch of pot on it. Mm. And then there was like the shrine of my sister because Lindsay had lived with her. And so there were just pictures of her like all over the place. But like the crazy things, like That's awkward. she had taken yeah. like these, like she had these, um, 
picture frames that were like, you know, the $1.99 picture frames that you get at Walmart and the glass had broken in them. So she had replaced it with like, you know, those like, um, the, the like plastic, yeah, like things. And so, and then hanging on her wall were like certificates from like her drug diversion class. Like, cause you know, we all hang that on our right, wall yeah. for like, you know, <laughs> yeah. cause we're so proud. Yeah. So I mean, like, I mean, Jesus. right. So there was a yeah, lot of like, it was things. so, it was so, it was very traumatic. And I just, and, and I, when I was there, I was like, this could have been my life. And this was my sister's life. Yeah. So that had a big impact on me because it really made me realize I need to be grateful for what I did have. And, you know, we all have that tendency to, like, think of things. Which wasn't fucking much. Yeah, but, it, you know, it wasn't Jesus, that. Yeah, yeah, but it, was, exactly. it wasn't it that. It wasn't that, yeah. And so, you know, you just never know. So you have to, <clears throat> you know, you have to choose to find the positive in yeah, things. that silver lining. Yeah. In anything. Right. So anyway, so, so, so I continued to work for Frank for a number of years. Okay. And I worked for him for a really long time, actually. And then... um. I graduated law school. I started working for him as a lawyer, automatically like walking right into doing trials and things like that. He was like really um, super awesome with me. Yes. And I quickly was like this sort of rising star in terms of being a lawyer because I just loved it. Like I absolutely loved it. And trial. Yeah. How intimidating was it? Like the uh, first one? Like Well, so my first trial I did like two weeks after I became a lawyer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks after, boom, in front of the judge. Yeah. And so I mean, there's at the beginning there's lots of losses and lots of hard things that you know, hard lessons that you learn. Um, but I also, you know, you learn your lessons very quickly that people watch every single thing that you do. Yeah, don't walk in the well. Yeah, all, all that kind like. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, but I learned very quickly to have good, um, to believe in myself and mm-hmm. to, um, follow my instincts. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to how it all sort of ties in, you know, like those, the situation with my mom and, all of, it just, it, it really taught me. And the thing that was so great is I think I was so fortunate, as we said, you know, having lived the life of five people, yes. when you've lived the life <laughs> of five people, you've seen five people's lives. So yes. yeah. you've seen so many things yes. that it gave me this unique ability that every time somebody would come into my life and come into my office or would be a client or, or a witness or whatever they were, you know, I, tr- I learned, or I didn't even have to learn. Like it would, it was just like innate in me that I never was judgmental of these people. And that was also one of the things that Frank was really good at because, you know, Frank could see like the janitor or the CEO of a corporation and to him they were all the same, Yes, which was a really great thing as a human being, not yeah. always such a great thing as a lawyer because jurors don't think like that, but no. that's how he thinks of Well, things. not in Orange County. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. So yeah. I, I really, I, uh, I was really fortunate because I, um, I knew that I sort of had this calling in being uh, an attorney because I... I, I realized early on that I wanted to advocate for people and I wanted to advocate for vulnerable people that didn't have the ability to advocate for themselves. And I knew that I couldn't do children because that would just be too close to home for me. Yeah. So I ended up, we had early on, we had a case that was the death of an 82 year old guy and you know, everyone was kind of like, well, why are you going to do that? Nobody's going to care. He's 82. And I took that case on and this was my did next some part. research. This was my... I wanted to make sure that this got in there because this is, this is a good story. Yeah. Like I mean, first, not, not, I mean, the first Jesus case that kind of, this is all a good story, but, yeah. but the first case that kind of, 
put you on the map kind of made you well that particular case i think was probably not the case that put me on the map but it was the case that put me on the path so i take wait this a case. minute I'm, am I talking about the 99-year-old? No, you're or talking the... about the 104-year-old. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but tell us the 82. Okay. So, the, so the 82-year-old was just, I learned that there's these new laws that had come out in California in 1991, and they were the Elder Abuse Act, and that there's all these remedies that you can get. And, you know, so it's no longer just, well, this person's 82, and their quality of life and their life expectancy is five minutes, so what could that case possibly be worth? But we got to look at, you know, the pain and suffering of that person. So I started doing those cases and I ended up actually leaving working for Frank for a while and I went to work for a national firm that did elder abuse cases and then came back to work as a partner for, with Frank for five years. Um, and then in the process of that partnership, um, I had these amazing clients come to me and it was the wrongful death of a 104-year-old woman. And Frank thought that I was completely insane because, you know, for he thought that uh -huh. no one's going to care that this person and, 100 was 104. And, yeah. and I thought... Because you think 104, how is it wrongful? Yeah. 104. Well, well she's know? not going to live... Right. Yeah. She could die in, in two hours. Right. I mean, Exactly. Yes. But I thought that it didn't matter that she was 104 because mm -hmm. what I thought was that every person has the right to die with the same level of dignity that they live their life with. And she was clearly this amazing person. She had like these awesome, amazing kids. And she had been married to the same guy for 80 years. He had lived to be 100. And oh yeah, and they had actually written an, uh, a, a book together. So if I got only, to read. only, right? Jeez. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she was, a, she was a, a professor at USC. She taught students how to be like a kindergarten school teacher. And oh, uh, she's a plus. Yeah, she was amazing. She was actually in one of the first graduating classes of all women um, college. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because she was born in like 1890 something. I mean, it was like me. It was like this wow. really incredible story. So I was like, I can stand behind this woman. Like I can absolutely stand behind this woman. And she died this really awful, horrific death. You know, she had these like massive bed sores and she had been living at home. She fell, she broke her leg. She ended up in a nursing home. And, you know, they, like, were Didn't running Frank it. Didn't Frank say, this is all you? Like, oh, yeah. Good, good luck. He was totally, like, 100% against it. Yeah. And it actually was, to be honest with you, probably had a lot to do with how our firm ended up disbanding because we it was such a controversial thing for me to be doing. And I was spending a ton of money. I'd spent over 200, like, $250,000 on prosecuting this case. Um, but I really very much believed in it. And so we tried the case. We won the case. We won, you know, seven figures. We got punitive damages, the whole deal. And <laughs> On a 104-year-old woman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. And that case was really, seven like figures. you said, that case probably did put me on the map just because then at least all the defense attorneys knew that they couldn't come and argue that, you know, the person was old, sick, or dying, you know? Right. Yeah, so. not with you. And um, at this point in your career, where was this? How old were you, your kids? Where were you in life? Okay, um, so that case was in 2006. Okay. So That's when I got married. Yeah, so yeah. then how long ago is that? So that was 11 years ago? Oh, 11, yes. 
So 11 years ago. So that means I would have to tell you how old I was then. So, <laughs> so actually that's true. That's that my math is correct because at that point I'm, cause I'm thinking this through. Cause at that point I was 39. I was going to say at that point you were 19. Yeah. I was 19. <laughs> and so I had been playing, I, I left out the part where I started playing women's professional football. So I started doing that when I was 36 and I had to stop playing because I was doing that trial and I stopped playing when I was 39. Okay. So that is correct. That Did you just follow that? She played professional yeah, football? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Like women's yeah. football? Yeah. I'm like, I what? did. <laughs> I'm still trying to catch up on her whole I know. story. <laughs> yeah. And then throw that women's football in there. Right, I did. What, what don't you do? <laughs> I did play women's professional football, yes. I, and that I, was awesome. I might I add. I have so yeah, much I more to add. do with my life. Like, no, I am, I am, we are I such, like a fucking we loser. are such slackers. We got to step it up. Where's the women's football league for us? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm, I, I highly advocate for you to play women's professional football. And it's not really it great. right now. Was no, it, it was like, so was awesome. it flag or was it like Oh, no, it was contact. full on. It was oh, wow. full. Yeah, we had like. Tackling, doing everything. Full oh, deal. Girl. Yep. We played NFL roles and it was, uh, it. it was great. I played uh, linebacker and. You were a linebacker. <laughs> And you I are played, a tiny little thing. I you played, were a I, linebacker? I played tight end. You should have been a running linebacker. back. You were a linebacker? I was a linebacker. I started off as safety and then I ended up as middle linebacker ultimately. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. So now what I want to know. I mean, we've got. We've, I know. That was amazing. There's okay, so, so much more we stuff, should, we, but we I gotta need go to. got to go on like how you, how you went on to your own firm. Yeah, that's my next thing. Yes. Perfect. What was. Um, when did you decide and why did you decide if you want to go there? If not, oh, no, it's I'm okay. I'm totally happy to go there. Um, to, to take a leap of faith and yes. have Valentine Law own, Group. Do your own practice. So that is actually exactly what it is, like having that leap of faith. So I was working at um, a firm, a, a national firm. Actually, I want to back up for oh, one okay. second. How did Frank feel that you won on a 104-year-old woman case. Like, how did he fucking let you go? Well, actually, it's funny that you say that because in the middle of that trial, I found out that Frank was actually going to disband our firm. So he made the decision to do that before I won the case. Oh. And I found out while I was in the trial, and then I didn't say anything to him that I knew until after the case was over because I didn't think that emotionally I could go down that path okay. at the same time. So it was already it was already a done deal. Well, does he already think he's taking you with him? No, he had decided to disband our firm because he didn't feel like we were um, good partners. He didn't think you it was too? a good. He didn't think it was good. It was a good uh, mix in terms of. I mean, we were in very different places in our career. I was kind of like, you know, the up and coming, Rising, and yeah. he was, you know, he was, you know, dramatically older than I was, yes. and he was sort of like, you know, on the latter end Damn. of his career, yeah, right. and so it just wasn't. We weren't able to like, you know, mesh well because we were just doing really different things. And I think that he was kind of hurt that I, you know, I took on this case and I did it by myself without him. I did bring in another guy to help me who was really great, but he, he specialized in doing these cases. And I think Frank was kind of hurt by that because he'd always been, you know, my mentor. And so I just think that, you know, he saw that I was kind of going a little bit in a different direction. So, so that was hard. You know, that was a, yeah. that was a loss and that was very hard. Um, but, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it was a really good thing. Um, you know, it's just funny how life works, you know? know. And so, 
I uh, ultimately, um, I was working, like you said, at this national firm and I hated it. And I, ha- I, I hated it not because they weren't good or all of that, but because I'm only good at doing cases that I truly, truly, truly believe in. And in order for me to have like great passion for them, which is how I'm good at them, is if I really believe, just like I believed in the 104-year-old woman. And like it was so evident from the way that I spoke and from everything about like my body language. I mean, I I believed it with my heart and soul. Like there's yeah. no question. You wouldn't you would have known that. And so I have to do that. That's how you win cases, is like you're you mm-hmm. you you, you you're truly engulfed in it. Yes. Yeah. So I was working for a firm where they wanted me to travel around the country and like step in and go and try cases that oh. were other people had worked up these cases and now you're just going to step in and you're going to try the case. And I knew myself well enough to know that's not going to go well. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be able to do that because because you're not vested in it. You're mm-hmm. just there for like being like the trial. Right. That's not who you and are. And I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not, which sounds crazy because, you know, I'm a plaintiff's lawyer, so everybody presumes that I'm all about the money, but I'm not. Yeah, no. I'm all about the right thing happening, and I believe that if you do the right thing, money will follow. Mm-hmm. And so, but that's not how this firm looked at it. Like, they were, they were, you know, they wanted me to go in because they wanted me to be about the money, and I'm not. And I can't be, and I can't be authentic in who I really am if I'm trying to be who they want me to be. So I knew that wasn't going to work. So I, I I started planning for the fact that I knew I was going to have to leave and go on my own. Because at that point, I realized the only way I'm really going to be able to do only the cases that I want to mm-hmm. do yeah. is I have to I have to do it on my own. So I saved a ton of money, like a ton of money. Yeah. And, you know, preparing and planning for this to happen, um, I had, you know, my staff that had followed me to well, that firm. My next question. Which is, they followed you from Frank's yes. firm? Yes. Okay. My, my staff from Frank's firm followed me there. I was going to say, did you know who you wanted to bring? Yeah. And, who, and I who wanted who to take all of them. Was? I did. And I wanted to take all of them, but I didn't have the financial means at that point to take all of them. So right. even actually one of my one of my staff members who, who had followed me, I couldn't actually take him yet. And so he kind of had to like wait it out. Mm -hmm. And so he ended up sort of like renting office space from me, um, just so that he could like wait it out. Oh yeah. It's Joe. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. So he, uh, he ended up eventually waiting it out until like was financially in a better position where I was able to hire him. So, okay. So yeah, I was able to bring ultimately everybody that I wanted, you know, I mean, it took a while to be able to finally do it. But um, it did require a lot of, um, I'm not really a risk taker, which is kind of funny because, you know, you would think I am, but I'm actually really conservative when it comes to, you know, my level of comfort and risk. Um, but when it comes to like your firm and your and your business, you have to get past that. Because if you if you stop yourself only at, you know, what you feel comfortable with doing, you'll never be, you'll never achieve you, you like, have to be uncomfortable yes, yes. to grow to you very much leap, have to be uncomfortable to leap, which you also have to do success a never comes from being comfortable no. ever right no. it comes from taking that leap or taking a a chance on yourself or yeah. and by this point the best thing that i had going for me is that i realized that all it is is money so i start this firm and i lose all of it and so what I'm well, back you to, started with isn't no that money, right. though? So it's not your right. Like, well, fine, so you're I'll like you and again. I, you and I would die at that. Oh We'd yeah, be like, oh what? No, no, no. We need our no, money. We need like, our money. <laughs> need this money. is a whole different, like yeah. our whole mind game is yeah. different. It's like fine, it's money. 
And you're talking about somebody that has, at this point in their life, yes, you know, dirt poor. Yes, you've been homeless and you've lived through all that. But you've also made a shit ton of money by this time. Well, at that Or you have saved a ton yeah, of money by yeah. this time. I did. And and the thing that, that at that point is I but I honestly I'm not kidding you when I tell you like the money part is not was not like I know. important to me. I know that. I mean and when I was starting my firm, I remember when mm-hmm. I told Corey, my youngest, mm-hmm. that I was starting the firm and that we were gonna have to like be on a budget and that we might be really super poor. And Corey was like, he had no idea what he was talking about, right? Because Corey had <laughs> only, like, what is only that Corey had ever known. What is this poor? Corey had only he'd only ever known me to be a lawyer because I studied for the bar when Corey was nine months old. Yeah. I took the bar when he was nine months old. Yes. So so for him, he's only known me as a lawyer. So he's like, so I remember him, I, I I kid you not, this is like how freaked out I was. I mean, honestly, I made him turn off our Netflix. It was a $7 account. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I made him turn off the Netflix because I'm like, we need to save money. Like, there's no our Starbucks, no Netflix. Like, I made him yeah. turn off the Netflix account. And no he's $7 like, Netflix. so I remember him coming to me and him saying, so, so does, what does this mean? Like, uh, are we going to have a car? Like, <laughs> like, what does that mean? And I was like, oh, goodness. Like, this is when I realized, like, How this kid. How old was Corey at this point? So, I mean, he was probably 13, maybe? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. but he has no... Yeah, he's... Yeah, I mean, he has, even like, yeah. any 13-year-old is struggling with, like, a budget. Like, what does yeah. that mean? Like, what what? Oh, totally. Sacrifice? Yeah, what and he I had, doing? like, no concept well, or he, whatever. Yeah. Well, he didn't have to ever fucking worry about no. that. Right, by the way. right, right. Yeah, so he... Uh, so, anyway, I mean, so I just... I... But here's... A, but here's... So I started the firm, and... Well, when you started your firm, did you know... What type of law you wanted to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was for sure I was going to do the same thing that I'd been doing. I was going to do elder abuse law. There was no question that that's what I was going to do. Um, and I mean, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like I really genuinely live and breathe. And I mean, it's like I love it. Like it exudes for me. I love it so much. Yeah. Um, and I love the ability to advocate for people who can't advocate for themselves. Yeah. And that's what's so great about it. And the, yeah. and the clients who come to me, again, you know, I have this unique perspective of being able to know, like, but for the grace of God, there go I, no matter who they are or what walk of life they come from. Um, and so that's sort of a blessing too. Yeah. I think I also have a unique ability to sort of figure out why they're really there. Because right. I think sometimes, you know... Um, Everybody comes to you for a different reason. Some mm-hmm. people come to heal. Most of them come mm-hmm. to heal, to be honest. Um, but what it requires for them to heal is is different for everybody. And it takes somebody who actually was going to spend some time trying to figure out what is it going to, what's it going to take to make this person whole? Yeah. Because a lot of times it's not money. Right. I mean, money isn't going to fix the problem. Yeah. And that's why, I, like I said, you know, I really believe that money is sort of the root of all evil in reality. Um, so I don't. I'm not, I never fixate on the money. Like I really don't. I fixate on trying to figure out like the truth about, and people don't believe me. That just sounds like a big load of hogwash, but it's true for me. Yeah. Like it really is true. Like, yeah. so, um, and of course in the midst of that, you end up making money, but I mean, well, that, yeah. but, you know, and but that, you've, you've had some scary times. I mean, you, I did. I, I had, when I started the firm, you know, we started kind of, I had saved all this money and we started on this high note or whatever. And then, but I came super close to like losing everything. Like I was within $40,000 of being bankrupt at one point. And I mean, it was so stressful, um, because I couldn't tell anybody. I couldn't talk about it, um, Mm. because I couldn't let people know how bad it really was. I remember going to a convention, um, because you know, that's what you do when you're trying to like, you know, 
drama be known business. and drama uh-huh. business yeah. and you're but at this convention. in the convention. meantime, I got to cut you off here. In the meantime, you have these great cases. Oh, I did. But people need to understand that as a plaintiff's lawyer, oh, you're yeah. footing the cost for everything. You don't everything. get pain. Right. And so, and that's what was, that was the problem is that I was, you know, here I had started this firm and now I'm on, you know, I've got like this delay time because the way that my particular firm is set up, we only take a handful of cases. We only have like 30 cases at a time. And so we could go for six months and not get paid on a case. Yeah. Um, sometimes even longer. And so we have to be, you know, very careful budgeting all of our money. I take all the money that I make on the cases. I put it all back into the firm. I like... You know, I work off of a salary. I get the same amount of money no matter how much money the firm is making. I don't change how much money I'm taking. Um, I've always worked like that because I feel like I have so much more than what I really need anyway and because I don't need a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I feel like we like we live sort of beyond our means. A lot of people do. And so I live in, you know, I live in an 1800 square foot condo and, you know, I drive a Lexus, which is good. I mean, but I drive that because it's important that I have a reliable car. And it's also important that your clients see you in a car that, you know, sort of, right. you know, shows that you're somewhat successful image. or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, even on all the years as like my, as my, um, income could be different. Um, I don't choose to spend the money in buying a bigger and nicer house and all of that. Like I, I choose to spend my money on people mm-hmm. and to trips. I take my kids, I do trips and I do. Isn't that the most, that is the best thing to do. It doesn't matter what fucking gift you give your kids. Yeah. If your gift is to take them to Nashville or to take them to Hawaii or fucking Italy, you just got back from the most amazing European trip. Honestly, you did. I did. But... Yeah, those are like huge memories and isn't and that that's bonding. what life's about, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that it, you know, as as it all sort of comes together full circle, you know, I've come to realize that, you know, you can't take anything with you. The stuff that you and you know, Very I true. think too, as like my youngest son is now off gone to college. So now I've like left in like the empty house, you know, become uh-huh. the empty nester, so to speak. And now even the house, you don't even care. I mean, like, I could care less. Like, I needed to have a house that was, you know, big enough and, you know, had, you know, it was, like, all of the memories and all of those things. But now you're, like, I don't even care. Like, I could, like, rent an apartment. I don't even care. Um, And, you know, and what ended up happening, too, is, you know, I started my nonprofit. And so when I started the nonprofit where we make these backpacks for homeless people – and then I, I, I sort of equate everything in terms of how many backpacks that would cost. So if, I, if I'm looking at oh. like, oh, if I want to buy that purse, well, how many backpacks would that make? Oh and that's kind of how I like think of things that is in terms a good of way like, to think of things. It, it, it's true. Like if you we, think of things Randy, like that. We spend a lot of backpacks. <laughs> we got to cut down those backpack <laughs> spendings. <laughs> but they're like my own backpack. I know. <laughs> so um, we, we're, we're going to get into Well, I... I want to know, okay, there's a couple things I need to know before we jump into the charity. How is your work family and how long have they been with you now? Well, my work family is awesome. Yes. Um, They're truly amazing. Um, So Kim, my office manager has been with me basically my whole, since I was 
before as she just reminded me actually like I was working with her be- when I was a paralegal. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. Cuz I said, "Oh, she's been with me for 16 years." And she's like 18. Oh, I was like, yeah, yeah, "Oh, yeah. okay." Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I was like, "Well, I've only been a lawyer for 18 years." She's like, "I started working with you before you even came a lawyer." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> You're like, "Okay." So, I mean, so she's followed me the whole time. Her daughter is my (laughs) secretary, soon to be paralegal. Um, She's been with me since she could work, since she was legally old enough to work. Yeah. Um, Jen's been with me since she was a law clerk um, and then became an attorney. And then Joe, I told you a little bit about Joe. He's been with me, um, you know, obviously since um, the beginning as well. He was with me at BV, followed me over to the national firm, and then He's the one who waited for me to be able to hire him. Um, so they've all been with me like very long term. Yeah. Um, and then I've added to that, you know, sort of core group. We have, you know, we have Bree, who's also a paralegal, and then Kelsey, who does all my intakes. And she was actually, Kelsey is, um, she's my, does my reception, and she also does all my intakes. Oh, yeah. Um, she's new. She's yeah, she's not great. new, but she's a little newer, right? But yeah, she's been there a couple years. And then okay. I have Sam, who, um, it does all my records and stuff like that. And then um, I now have hired a couple of law clerks. So they've been mm-hmm. with me for a while. And then I have Anna. Anna's my other attorney. And mm-hmm. she's been with me now for probably going on three years. And she's like my Midwest girl. She's super I will awesome. tell you what. I, I, uh, she's, I think she is a lot more passionate than you or I ever would have thought. Yeah. She well, really I hi- I don't know about the would have ever thought because I hired her because of that. I, I know. I hired her because I, I knew that she had. I feel like she had more of a fire than we we would have thought. Really? She's really, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, she is very awesome. So all my people are awesome. I, I mean, know. Like, I'm no, super they lucky. are. They are your I have fucking a great, family. I have a really, yeah, I have a total work family. And, and when you, know, you I've walk tried in hard, there, you know that. Yeah, you, I've tried presence. really hard to make sure that they have an environment that they love to come to work. Like, that's what I try for. I mean, we're mm-hmm. super busy and we're, like, stressed a lot. And so it doesn't always work mm-hmm. out. But I, I, I've actually tried to emulate the firm a lot after the firm that I started at when, Frank, when, you know, I went back from being yeah. recalled and I went to work at that firm which was Hortonburg Brown Riley and I loved it I loved my job there and I was like I enjoyed going to work every day I looked at the clock and was like oh my god it's already three o'clock instead of oh my god it's only three o'clock yeah so I wanted to have that type of environment for the people I I hate I'm never going to have an environment where people have to punch a time clock because I feel mm-hmm. like you have to respect them as human beings give them latitude give them leeway totally. treat them if they're going to do their job then you yeah. know, give them the, the latitude to be able to like be gone when they need to be gone um, and, and so we try, and yeah. And it, and so hopefully, I mean, obviously it's never, yeah. hopefully it's, it's never perfect. I mean, you're never, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. certainly not the perfect boss and I have my moments, but, um, but I try, I mean, I feel like being a boss is just like everything else. You have to learn how to be better at it. You have to listen to what people have to say. You might not like what they have to say, but you need to listen and evaluate what they say, self-assess yeah. yourself, yeah. um, and be better. And that's kind of, I think, the, the the one thing I think that makes me a little bit different, I think, than a lot of people is that I really do actively try to be better every day than I was the day before. Like, I actively think about that. And I always have um, for a really, 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 really long time. Like, I had a long way to go. I mean, obviously, I started really far at the bottom. Yeah. So, you know, that was a very long climb out of that yes. hole. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. but... Well, that dream but that was, is, like, super rare, <laughs> like... Yeah, you know, I, like kind of self reflect each day. Like, what can I do to be better? Yeah, and it's a lot of work. 
And it yes. requires, you know, the thing that I think, um, you know, I was, I was mentioning to you guys before we started the show is that one of the things that I was lucky to have that a lot of people don't have nowadays is I was totally dedicated and willing to sacrifice. And I put a lot of time, I mean, hours and hours and hours where I would like study and I would, all I would do, I had no life. I don't even know what I did in my twenties. I had no life. Mm-hmm. All I did was work and go to school and like try to better my life. Yeah. And, but that's a sacrifice. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that sacrifice because nowadays I feel like people just want to jump from like here to that right. place over there where they get right? the benefits and they don't want to put in the hard work that it takes even to get there. kids. Yeah. And that's, that's, it doesn't work like that. And I feel like even now it not only did it not work like that back then, it's even harder now. Yeah. And yet, despite the fact that it's even harder now, the, the today's generation is less willing because they have no idea what sacrifice really is. And the reason they don't know what sacrifice really is, is because they've grown up in a world of immediate gratification. Yes. Uh So because everything is comes to them so easily, they're like, what do you mean? I got to wait. What do you mean? I I can't be perfect tomorrow. I can't make a lot of money tomorrow. Like I actually have to like go to school. School and I have to actually, I mean, they don't, yeah. they, it's like, yeah, put in they the don't, hard work. right. Yeah. And no matter how hard, I mean, here and I when was, I graduate, I'm not going to have like a $100,000 salary. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to um, have a hundred thousand dollars. No. What are you talking about? No, that doesn't work. It's very, like, it's, yeah. and our kids are doing the same, they yeah. are going through the same thing, you know? Yeah. It's, I think, um, Jonathan probably understands that more now, but he, yeah. he doesn't get it. Well, I mean, I can like kind of look at it from like my own perspective because I started at the firm that I work for as a file clerk and I, I've been there for 13 years, Right. you know, and I had to work my ass off to get to where I am to that manager level. And we have new staff coming in and they, they, they don't want to do any more work unless you pay them first. Right. And it's yeah. like, I never had that perspective. I'm, I'm busting my ass to show you pay me more. But it's always, I'm going to give you more, so you give me more. Right. But now it's like opposite. Oh, you want more? Pay me first. You know, it's, it doesn't work that way. Right. You know? Yeah. So, it, yeah, that's this whole struggle right now. It is. I'm I'm kind of concerned of how this is going to look in a decade, let's just say. But, I mean, I guess only time will tell, right? Well, <laughs> well, we'll be good. <laughs> right. We'll be okay. It's scary, though. It, it really is. is. Yeah, it is. I mean, all we could do, it, well... Plus, we're in an we're in an area that we're very fortunate where right, we live, to be, right? Yeah. Where we live it's in Orange County, and it's a lot of privileged. It, it is. is. It is. People it is. that I mean, I didn't come from this area. Like, I came from a not so privileged. Also, like, yeah, you know, my family's not educated. Like, there's no college degree. Like, my generation in our family was the first to have college degrees. I don't even have a college degree, Yeah, you know? So like, I understand like that whole workforce, but yeah, it, it's different now. It is. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, now I want to go into, um, well, I guess I should close off Valentine law group before okay. we go into OHH, okay. which is operation helping hands. Cause that's going to be a story in itself hmm. and it's a beautiful one. It is. Um, what do you see for your future at Valentine Law Group? Well, uh, that's a really good question. I know. Um, because <laughs> it's a good a question because there's a lot of laws that are changing that are like having a big impact on, you know, some of the, the prosecution of our elder abuse cases. And can um, we talk about that? I mean, we don't have to go into specifics, but well, the only what thing, is that? Well, all I think I'll say is that there's, you know, there's been earlier this year, in March of this year, there was a federal legislation that 
um, went to the house. Um, and basically it was a bill that would make our California cap of $250,000 apply, uh, nationwide. So it would become a federal law that know, would limit the which is so right. fucking awful. And it is awful. And it and it limited so like we put in place in 1991 here in California we put in place this um you know our elder abuse act that basically said we want to encourage you know they they saw that elders were being treated poorly. They saw that there was you know this neglect of the of elders and so um, the legislation just legislators decided that it was important to be able to have lawyers prosecute those cases so that there was some remedy um, to try to deter this type of conduct. And but that law could potentially, uh, you know, be overridden, if you will, for uh, by virtue of the federal law. Yeah. So that law went to the House floor um, about a month or so ago and it barely passed the house only by eight votes, which was actually amazing. Um, lots and lots of work and effort went into that. And so now it's, we're waiting to see if it makes it to the Senate. Um, usually when things don't pass the house by very, by a very large margin, um, that, that's a good indicator that it perhaps won't make it through the Senate. Mm -hmm. So we're right. Which is, which is we're hoping for. Um, but I feel like right now what's happening is that, you know, there's just so much other stuff, you know, there's, yeah, that, that, that I'm not convinced yet that it's not going to come up again. Um, so I just, we're like kind of holding our breath on that on a day by day basis that, cause the way it happened the first time is like all of a sudden it came out of nowhere and it's like, it's going to the house floor in two weeks and we were like, Oh my God. So yeah, I mean, and that has the potential to, you know, have a, devastating impact on my firm. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, so that's been incredibly stressful. Um, you know, it's been, you know, sort of an overriding thing this year. You know, we put a lot of time and energy into that. I've done a lot of, you know, blogging and writing yeah, and just trying to get the information out because yeah because like so people, people don't know don't anything know. about they it don't know. They don't. even lawyers didn't know yeah. you know there's lots yeah. and lots of people who don't know anything about it still to this day lots of people don't know anything about it well and i also talked to my you know my court reporting friends about this too and about when we were sharing stuff on facebook and stuff and none of them care no and i'm like no this affects all of us like, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the thing that's super exactly. sad is that like, I know. Are just, you, are you, are, do you get it? Right. Like, but they don't because the sad, don't. the sad and awful thing about humanity is that everyone sits back and they, all they care about was how does this affect me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Ugh. and they don't realize that this picture. does, and this does affect you yes. because we're all going to get old. And, you know, these large corporations are, they're in, you know, they're, they're in the pocketbooks of these yes. uh, legislators, and and it's so they're creating these really awful laws that are going to ultimately. It's just it's it's so sad, and people just don't realize it. It's just like how we have this micro act in California that's been in place for thirty years, and two hundred fifty thousand dollars is the price that we placed on somebody's life thirty years ago. I know, but if you just add inflation to that, doing nothing else, it's one point one million dollars today for the same amount. But yet we tried to get that passed two years ago just to increase it to what would be an equal amount for inflation. Yes, and, and, no, it, right. and it lost by like an overwhelming thing because the insurance companies got behind it and, yeah. you know, they just started advertising how it was like lawyers trying to make a bunch of money and everybody hates lawyers. And so it just turned into that and people not realizing like well, this is this you, is, too. you yeah. put the value on a human life at yeah. this money 30 years ago. You're not changing that. You're just 
you're just catching up with, right. you know, where with it was. Where we are today. But yeah. that's just, that's us, just, you know, it's like, it's all about the spin. It's all about the political spin that people are able to put on things. So, well, and your, I mean, your line of work correlates directly to the political realm. Yeah, it does. And you, ne- you never really get that. Right. I mean, and, and you really, and you don't really know until, you know, something like this comes up, how connected these corporations really are. Yes. And, and, and I'm just telling you, like, I see the main, just like, I'll tell you, we yeah. just today, I sent out an email about another bill that a friend of mine put was really, really, really active, had to fight so hard to get this bill. Um, and it's currently sitting on the governor's desk in California. It's just, this one just applies to California. And the only thing that this bill does is if there is proof, if a judge makes a determination that a defendant committed fraud, that they literally like altered records committed mm-hmm. fraud. Yeah. The burden of proof in our elder abuse case goes from clear and convincing to preponderance. So it reduces the burden to preponderance of the evidence. Okay. That should be like a no brainer. You should yes. definitely not want yes, to. This person lied. Right. They committed fraud. That yeah. should be like a no brainer. And can I tell you that that was one of the hardest fought battles oh to goodness. get that signed even to the point where it's now at the governor. And we're still worried that the governor might not approve it. Might really? not sign off on it. Yeah. I'm like, why would that be? But because money talks. Money talks. So, yeah, it's a... So the answer is you don't know. I don't know. It's disappointing, yeah. I don't know. In your world, Kim, what would you like, though? What what do you want for your next step? Do you just... What what do you want? Keep doing what you're doing. Like, you want to... What do you want to do? So what do I want to do? Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Well... You know, it's funny, people, a lot of people have asked me this, especially since Corey's left to go to college. And I tell people that I really think that we all come here and we all have like a purpose, right? And yeah. my initial purpose, I I feel like I've accomplished a lot actually in the yes. first half of my life. No shit. Um, no shit. And, but I feel like I'm so not done. And I think <laughs> that I'm actually supposed to be doing something else. And I don't even know what that is yet. But okay. I'm supposed to like be keeping my eyes open and paying attention. And, and I think it will become clear to me what that is. Um, but I'm not even sure. <clears throat> maybe it involves, you know, my firm and maybe great things that I'm going to be able to do in the line of work that maybe I'm doing. Maybe it involves teaching. Maybe it involves something totally different. But I am, I feel 100% convinced that I am still not done, that there are other great things that yeah. I'm going to do. Well, you're not old. Yeah, so. and I just don't know exactly <laughs> what that is as of yet. So other than I just feel like if I could do one thing today, it would be I'd write my book. That'd well, be the one thing I that's, would do. You need to do that. And yeah. that, and you need to go on a sabbatical and do that. Yeah. yeah. And like yeah. live up there by her. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell this story. This uh, is an yeah. amazing story. Do you know story. how fucking much this book would sell? It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But it that's would. what I... I feel New like it's York Times. I feel, yeah. Like yeah. I feel like it would be important to do. So it is yeah. important it to really do. Is. And we have not even we no. have just stepped I know. on. Yeah. We're like There's so much more touching that the... we haven't even like been able to talk about. I know. And we are I gonna would go buy that book. I know you yeah. will. Everybody in the like mom would buy that book. <laughs> okay, we're gonna go into Operation Helping Hands. Yes. I am gonna go pee real quick. Okay, go pee. All right, we all peed. we feel so much better we feel so much better and I'm sorry I totally we need some more wine but before we get our wine (laughs) yeah 
Um, oh, now we have to up. wrap it up, but yes. we have got to talk about Operation Helping Hands. And this is a charity that Kim and her son and daughter started. Right. Um, I want you to explain what Operation Helping Hands is. Yeah. What and is- I want you to explain how did this shit come to be? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's a pretty big fucking deal. <laughs> so, <laughs> it is. So, you know, we talked a little bit about how, you know, each of my kids, um, you know, my kids each had like their own intricate role in forming my life. Yeah. And so my oldest son definitely formed my life in terms of, you know, that here I was this like really young mom and I needed to like get my life together. And I had like this great motivator by virtue of the fact that I had this son at 15. And then I had this daughter um, when I was 21 and now I had a girl. And so now I had to like really reshape my life because I needed to. That's a different ball game. Yeah, because now I had to set a, I needed to be a role model for a girl. Right. And so, you know, the, the, a lot of the decisions that I made that I wasn't really capable of making for myself, I was able to make and do changes in my life for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Corey comes along and Corey is, you know, I have Corey. The when Zen I'm, master. The Zen master. <laughs> yes, that is what we call him. Uh, and so he comes along in like a whole different part of my life. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm older when I have him. I'm 29 when I have him. Um, I'm married. I'm, you know, in a stable relationship, like everything about it looked totally different than what it had always been before. Um, and Corey, you know, like I said, I, I was 29 when I had him and became a lawyer when I was 30. And so he never really knew me as anybody other than a lawyer. And we intentionally raised him in, you know, a very middle-class neighborhood. We did that on purpose. We didn't want him to, you know, have like the kid next door getting a BMW for his birthday. We just, for us, that wasn't the environment we wanted him to see. Um, but he still grew up, you know, kind of sheltered and not really realizing, you know, what he had and how his life was very different um, than what a lot of other people's lives had been, including mine. And I had never really shared with my kids. Um, you know, it's very difficult as a parent. You never really know, like, you know, my life is a little bit of a train wreck on paper. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, there's, so there's a lot of things about that. You don't really share with your kids. You know, you don't talk about that with them. Um, and so, which is so bizarre because like your friends and your, your, your boyfriend or your husband, people that you're close with in a different way, you share. With they them. know all about that, and it could be such a good learning. But learning it's weird to but, yeah. talk about those struggles well, with, with your, your kids, kids. Yeah. right? Yes, exactly. Well, I feel like too because you never know like how your kid might try to use that information, you know, and to, you know, and so I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> that's right? funny. That's so true. It, it's true, and so you, so you're very careful. Um, you know, you're trying to set this image for your kids, and you know, so it's it's. It's interesting. So I didn't share a lot with my kids, you know, as they were growing up. Um, And I don't even think that as of the time that I kind of developed this idea that I really wanted Corey, he was, you know, by this point, he's like 13, 14 years old. And, you know, he's, um, you know, he was always a good kid. It wasn't that he wasn't that. It was just that I realized that he was very privileged. And 
I have come to realize that while I try so hard to go through my whole life, not, you know, ever judging anyone and not, you know, being prejudiced against anything or being biased, I've come to realize that I do have one bias and that is privilege. And maybe that's unfair, but it is honest. It's all that we know. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I am, I, I struggle with that. I do. Yeah. Um, and so I always, what I, I, I say, it must be fucking nice being a white female and a white male. Right. It is nice. Yeah. We don't get, we don't. Well, Corey didn't quite get that because Corey's no. black, but he. Yes. No, but me and you get that. I do. And I felt like, you know, you know, Corey's going along and he hadn't had life by the tail. And he's just been like this really lucky kid who just, you know, everything sort of seemed to come easy to him. Yes. And so that scared me a little bit. I felt like here I had worked, you know, long and hard to try to, you know, I, I tried to raise my kids where they didn't give them too much, which I, I think I failed at. But I tried. I thought I was going the right direction in that. Um, and I moved to Orange County thinking that I wanted to raise them in a better neighborhood and a better environment that I did. And I regret that because I look back and I think I didn't raise them in any kind of a diversified area. Um, they didn't really ever, you know, I don't want to say they, but Corey didn't really have any kind of real struggles. Um, and so I, I really wanted to try to do something that I thought I was really drawn to try to do something that was to give back. And I, I just always felt like, especially as I, um, was making more money than I needed, um, I wanted to try to give back, but I wanted to do it, you know, in a way that I thought would also affect Corey. Mm -hmm. So one day I, uh, had a bunch of his friends and some of my family members that came over and we sat in the garage in my, at my condo and I bought like 50 little brown bags from Target and I bought a bunch of hygiene items and some blankets and I had them make these bags and, um, I kind of probably should have known then, um, about Corey. I'm actually looking on my phone right now cause I'm trying to see if I can quickly find what I had, what he wrote. Um, because what I had them do was they had to draw pictures on the brown bags Oh, okay. okay. And because they were, you know, the kids were pretty young then. And so they had to draw okay. pictures on the bags and I, I don't, I can't find it real right here, but I remember being really struck by what Corey said on the uh -huh. bag because it was like this really deep statement His message on the bag. And I was uh -huh. like, wow, okay. That's like interesting coming from the boy, you know, yeah. he's a boy. And so, but whatever, I didn't really think too much of it. And so we took these little brown bags and we, um, we went down to San Diego and we caravan, we had a couple cars, we caravan down to San Diego cause I had just recently done a case down there and I knew exactly where I could find like a large group of homeless people there. So I took the kids and, you know, when we got there, it just so happened that we pulled up into this neighborhood and there was a row of tents mm -hmm. and I gave the first bag to Corey and I told him to go and give it to whoever was in the tent. And I stood back far enough away because I felt like having been homeless that I knew that the homeless people would take the products better from a child than right. they would from an adult. Yeah. And so, and Corey at this point was still like this little kid. And so he didn't know. It. He yeah. So he, so he walks that. over and, and lo and behold, it just so happened that the person that was in the tent was a woman. Uh -huh. And that was like really unusual because, you know, there was such a small percentage of homeless that were women. Right. So I hear him as he's talking to her, and Corey is actually kind of shy, doesn't really do a lot of talking. Uh -huh. um, and he's talking to her, That's and her. they're talking for like kind of a long no. time. 
And so the next thing I know, he comes back over to me and I don't, at this point, I have no idea what it is that she was saying to him. All I know is that when he came back over to the car, he just looked up at me and uh-huh. he said, so we're going to go find more people, right? Oh. And I was instantly like, okay, like yeah. this isn't okay. He got such a good yeah. reaction from that. He's like, okay, where's the next one? So he, yeah. and he tells me later that what happened is, is that she had asked him, why are you doing this? Mm. And he's like, what do you mean? Why are we doing this? And she's like, well, why, what's in it for you? Like, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, there's nothing in it for us. We're just doing it. Cause we just want to, you know, want to help you. Right. And she then sort of like, you know, kind of calmed down a little bit. And then she told him that it was going to be the best thing that had happened to her because it was Christmas time when we were mm. doing this. And she was telling him that that was really all she was going to get for Christmas. And that's what really sort of affected him was to realize that like, this is it. Yeah, like this is all she's really getting. That this is what she's getting for Christmas. So we went and we, we went ahead and passed out the rest of the bags we, until we had like only like maybe five bags left. Mm-hmm. And then we just happened to drive past like this big open area that was, you know, like the convention center. And there was like this group of people that were probably 200 people in that group. And they were sitting in the, in the convention area. And Corey is in the other car. And so he rolls up next to me and he rolls down the window and he's like, Mom, we need to go to the grocery store because we need to go buy food for Mm -hmm. those people. Now, what I had not told Corey is that this is Sunday now. And that previous Friday, I had quit my job. (laughs) And I was quit my job because I was going to start my firm. But it was going to be a very long transition (laughs) between the quitting and the time that my I was going to start my firm. And so I hadn't told him yet that I had quit my job. So here I sit and I'm thinking in my head, shit balls. I don't really want to feed 200. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, that wasn't really in my plan. Yeah. Yeah. But how do I tell him? I can't tell him no. Right. So we went to the store and we bought food and we even actually went to like Ross down in San Diego. And we bought more blankets and I actually have like this really great picture of the kids walking um, into that convention area um, carrying these bags and they're like, they're so excited to like mm-hmm. to give them. to go do this. And so and it was like the feeling that it gave me to watch him and my niece was there and and a couple one of Corey's best friends and <laughs> I told you. <laughs> and I was like so struck because I here I had this grand plan like oh I'm going to like teach him this lesson and I really want him to but I had no idea that he would really feel it. And there are some kids that are really, truly, they just have like my heart, like they feel it and they're like truly committed to it. So but these, but you don't have to be homeless to feel that. No, you don't and have clearly, to. Because here's this kid that right. had like had life by the tail. Like and yet said, he's like, like, like affected like by that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But it's funny because he actually taught you. Oh, totally. So we, so we, so we go and we do that and then. The best part is, so we then we turned it into um, a regular thing. So the next time, I realized then that like doing the little brown bags was not working because these people needed to have, they needed something that they could carry their stuff in because I knew like you're not going to, you're going to like, you know, you lose stuff if you don't have something to carry it around in. Right. In a brown bag, if it gets wet, whatever, yeah, they're going to lose whatever's in there. So we started, so then we started 
we got, then I started buying backpacks by bulk. And then we started doing these projects and it was, it really struck me because a lot of the same kids would keep showing up at these projects. And, and Corey was like really excited about doing these projects like every single time. Uh And so we grew, we started off like we probably did like 250, I think was our first batch. And then we went to like 500 and then we went to 750 and now we're up to, we make about 2,500 uh, backpacks a year. But the best thing is that we then started, um, so we started partnering with like the local high schools and the Uh lion's heart. And so these kids come and we probably have between the assembly day. So on Saturday we have assembly day and we, we assemble all the backpacks. backpacks. Uh And then on um, distribution day, we rent 15 passenger vans, which we have to keep renting more and more of because we probably have a total of about 200 kids that come, um, between the two days. Right. And they come to do like their community service hours. And, you know, some of the kids come because they're doing community service hours and then other kids actually come because they want to, they want because to. you know, because they keep coming back. Even yeah, after that's they what have I was going to ask the kids who participate from a school. Is it part of their, they can. So when you're in high school now, you have to get a certain number of community service hours. And so oh, okay. we but have it could, all set up where, you know, we, we have a connection with the high schools and then, you know, we fill out forms for them and they get their, their credits for their community service hours. Um, but a lot like the lion's heart, the kids are even, they're not even doing it for community service mm-hmm. hours with the school because they're too young. And so they come and like, I mean, we, here's one t- example of how we knew that these kids were really in it for the right reasons. So we, we had one year or one project where we took the van down to San Diego. We always take one van to San Diego because the homeless for whatever reason in San Diego seem to be, they're, they're much more, um, <laughs> they're, that's, that's why I'm. Casper, <laughs> they're much more. He's not dead yet. He's sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so they're they're much more grateful for whatever reason oh. down there, and so I always want to send like a group of kids down to that to mm-hmm. that area because you know that it's a really great experience for them. That's Corey's favorite area. It is. Yeah, he, he will not. He doesn't like to. He always wants to go down there. So, yeah. so. Um, because that's where we started too, I think is also why. So anyway, so we, so we sent this group down there, this one particular project and it just so happened, God, there was two, uh, marathons that weekend. So we couldn't even get in to San Diego. And so we had to turn the van around and have them come back. And mm-hmm. so we told the kids when they came back, cause you know, it's a trip, like that's a haul just to get down there and come back. So we told them, Hey, we're going to stop by the office and we'll drop you guys off if you want um, you know, we'll give you your community service hours anyway, but we're going to go ahead and go on to the Anaheim Riverbed. Um, and so those of you who want to stay, uh-huh. you know, you can, um, but you don't have to because, you know, you've, you've done, done your done service. Your exactly. Yeah. And so that's a big riverbed. Yeah. So we took the kids back to the office and out of the 15 kids, one got out of the van. Oh, wow. And the 14 stayed. And they went to the riverbed and they passed out the backpacks at the riverbed. And that was very telling to me because mm-hmm. I was like, wow, these kids didn't, they're not here because they have to be here. Yeah, these all want to be here. Yeah, they whatever. So, yeah. And their parents aren't in the van going, you're fucking staying. No, not, yeah, their no. parents are not there. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, their uh-huh. parents are not their there. Their parents are not there. No. I mean, I we let the parents go if they want, but the San yeah. Diego, but they never go to San Diego. No. The kids that go to San Diego they always go. They stuff the backpacks with the kids and then they drop them off the next day on Sunday. So did she, um, I know I was dealing with Casper, but. Did she talk about the days, Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. How they pack the 
pack okay. the packs and then give them out. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah, so that's what we do, and it has grown, um, grown a lot. tremendously. Um, now we're an official five hundred one c three, and we have what a does board. that mean? It means that um, people can donate to <clears throat> our organization, um, and it's a tax write off. Um, we take a hundred percent of the proceeds that are donated to us, and we use everything for our product. Um, we do not, everybody on my board works as volunteers. Every single person who works with our organization, all volunteers, their time, no one is paid to work through, uh, for operation helping hands. So the, we do that because we want to make sure that hundred percent of the proceeds are used directly for the product and that we don't have any overhead. Yeah. So the office is out of my building that I, um, have, uh, my law firm in. Um, so there's no overhead. Yeah. So, so we've actually really grown it. I mean, now we even, our backpacks are like this next project that Is we're doing. Is it 15 now? 1,500? Uh, as how many we're making? We're yeah. making 1,200 at a time. 1,200 at a time. 1,200 to 1,250 okay. at a time. Okay. So we, um, so now we're adding, like we're doing a lot more, um, we do a lot more hygiene items. Now okay. we do like tampons yeah. and stuff, yeah. which, and oh my yeah, gosh, which so are so necessary. And now we differentiate between male and female we backpacks. We do. We even give out condoms. Do um, you now? You mm-hmm. really do? Yeah. That's, oh, that's, that's great. great. That's yeah. Super great. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we're adding some more uh, additional products to the, our backpacks this year because we had our first golf tournament this year, which was a, actually a huge success. It was our first fundraiser. We'd never had one before. Are you um, going to do it again? Yeah, we're going to do it again. It's going to be I think always... that our podcast should be, we should donate oh. that so we could be on there. Well, girl, you know, I know how to golf. I know. Okay. You do? I do. <laughs> I took private lessons in high school. Okay. okay. I'm, oh, pre- wow. I'm, I'm pretty fucking good. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, we, so <laughs> I just want to be on the billboard so and the donate. So, third week in July, third Monday in July of every year is when we're going to do it. We're going to do it consistently at the same time. So, it'll okay. be the third Monday third, of July. Third, okay. Um, And so, that's what we're going to do it again. But that was our first one. It was actually, it was super fun. It was a big success. We were really, really, really happy. Um, about that. So we took the proceeds that we made from that and were able to, because the way it worked initially is I just kept, I was um, funding everything. Um, and so now we're finally in a position where we're getting some donations and things like that. So that's actually really good. So we've been okay. able to grow. And and actually, I would love to be able to grow it even more, be able to do more projects and, yeah. and be able to do more backpacks because no matter how many backpacks we do, we never have enough. You never have never. enough. And, you know, yeah. and we take – so it's very interesting because we go to all these different areas. It's always hard for me. I always try to make it through without crying. But it's very difficult when I go to Long Beach because sometimes we go and we pass off backpacks in the same area where I was homeless. So that, yeah. you know, is kind of, you know, very emotional, emotional yeah. for me. Yeah. The last – the le- very last one we did, um, we were in the riverbed. And that one, for whatever reason, this last time was just so, it was so deep because we were in that riverbed. And I guess because in the riverbed, they actually build, they like build like their own little, you know, sort of shacks, if you will. I mean, and they, they you know, they have tarps for roofs and they take, mm-hmm. you know, whatever items they can and they, and they build like a community there. Mm-hmm. And so you, and rather than just seeing like a person on the street, you actually walk into like this ready-made community, um, you know, where they even have like couches that are sitting out and, you know, it's like, and this is really where like they live. And it was really, it was even some of the kids, like one of Corey's best friends was with me and he's like, I've been doing this every single time. 
And he's like, this one was the hardest mm-hmm. to come here and to see, you know, the, the, it's like their, it's, it's their home. It is their home. It's just, it, it hits you so much harder to yeah. see that. And, um, so, I mean, you know, we actually even, because we we're creating our, our website now, which we, um, you know, hadn't really, we, we kind of had this makeshift website before, but we're actually building a pretty formalized one. And so yeah. had a photographer came and he did an amazing job. Um, you know, he made sure to make sure it was okay and get their consent. And, you know, it was, it was really interesting to see, you know, the, the response from the homeless in terms of, you know, some of them were super excited to have their picture taken. Some of them didn't want their pictures taken, which of course we respected, but, um, some were very excited to have their pictures taken. And, and this photographer just took like, I mean, it was, I posted some of them. We have an Instagram and we have a um, a Facebook page. And I posted a lot of the pictures on there um, on sort of a daily basis. And I was just like, this is like a day of the, yeah. you know, of home of, of the face of the homeless in Orange County, you know, because yeah. we're living here in this very, you know, privileged county. And people presume that, you know, because we're in Orange County, there's just not really a lot of homelessness. But no, but that's not true. Yeah, it's not. Mm-hmm. There's there's so much more than and it's growing. And there's many yes. more women now then we are actually have had to slowly over the years we've had to increase the number of women backpacks that we've made because the percentage of women population keeps growing which I is know. very sad well um there is a a lot of um the reporters that work in santa Ana courthouse they freak out over that is so big over there yeah we go there. because they all santa dump the cops dump yeah. yeah, the homeless into that. We well, go. We always take a we take right a van, um, and yeah. we go to the courthouse. Um, every project, um, we take a separate van that just goes to that. I know to that community, and you know the same. You know they, they have their homes and they built like their little tents and stuff. Yeah, even there, um, but it's still not quite the same, um, because you can tell from the way that it's sitting there that it's very makeshift. That they're gonna like up and move, you know, from that uh, area. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when you go down to the riverbed, you can tell that they're like there for as long as they can stay. Mm. You know, they're not moving unless somebody kicks them out, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm. wow. so yeah, it's, uh, it's intense. Well, I, it's very rewarding. It is rewarding. I, I was one of the, it's embarrassing, but I grew up privileged. I am privileged. I never had issues like that. And I was one of the people that were scared of the homeless or, thought they were all on drugs or they were all psychopaths like judgmental I was very like much so like that and so when I got to know you and I got to know what you did I I had in my head John this would be something that Jonathan would um benefit from right and little did I know how much it would teach me but yeah um the first time we went with Kim and she decided, we're going to go to the Inland Empire. I haven't been there yet. And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, yeah. Jonathan was born in Redlands. And and uh, we didn't live in Redlands, but we lived in Highland at the time. And I went to San Gorgonio High School in San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. So You're I was familiar. In a, yeah. I'm familiar. And I was in a, we were in a tough area for a few years. But I knew, I'm like, oh my God, this is like crack house heaven. This is yeah, homeless heaven. I mean, and I thought, oh, I just got nervous. I was, maybe it's because I 
I don't know. The connection there was very bizarre for me. And I was, wasn't I a ball, a you ball were, of nerves? You were a mess. You were a mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember that day very well. I remember I I recognized actually that you were kind of a mess pretty early on. So I... <laughs> Um, I intentionally, was. no, I, but I intentionally, I um, what I did, cause you know, I always like send everybody out on their various legs of doing the distribution. And so I send like, a you van went with me. I did. You're- I took you on purpose <laughs> because I saw that you were really uncomfortable. I'm sorry. And no, it's okay. I mean, that's, that's I, my job I'm, to like, to, to try to make sure, because my goal is to try to make sure that this is a rewarding experience for everybody that's involved in it. And I could tell that you were really nervous and I could tell that you were like really uncomfortable with it. So I felt like it would be good if I was personally went with you because I felt like if I didn't go that you might chicken out. So I wanted you to have to. I probably would have. Yeah, I, I thought But so. my son would not have gone for that. So no. I yeah. I don't know what I would have done. So that I, was. I, so, I, so the interesting thing about that is, you know, every you know, like I said earlier, you can see the kids who have the immediate connection with it or whatever. And I could tell that Jonathan, I didn't even really know Jonathan that well then. Um, but I could tell that Jonathan seemed very legit and authentic about it. Um, and so that was really good. And I could tell that he was kind of like over the fact that you were not Mm -hmm. into it. And so, um, he was was almost embarrassed by me. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go with, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there was just the three of us. Um, (laughs) We we I, I had to keep her away from the rest of the I crowd. Mean it. <laughs> I was so scared. Well, so we we went out and it was so great because we went and we went to a park. We went to a park and uh, you know we had to look for homeless out there. I we mean, did. It, they were few and far between, especially mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, and so, and, and at that point too, because like you said, I hadn't been out there yet. So I had, you know, part of this was also exploratory. Like I needed to go and I we needed, need to find out where they are. Areas. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so Jonathan was like all about it right from the very beginning. And the great thing was that Jonathan reacted exactly like Corey did. Jonathan was like easy, go lucky. And he was like, it was very so easy for him to talk to them. I don't and even he was, know And how. he had this great – he did the same thing that my photographer did. He had this ease about him that made the homeless people feel at ease. He was very nonjudgmental, and he was able to sort of, like, communicate with them in a way where they felt like, you know, he could relate to them. Mm-hmm. And, and he had that, like, from the minute he started talking to the very first person, just, like, walked up, had, like, easy, easy conversation with them. Same as Corey. Um, and so I noticed that right away. And so then we went on and we went to, we finally found a park that there were a lot of, a lot of different people in a lot of homeless. And I'll never forget. We, we ran out of backpacks. The women fucking killed me. Yeah. I I was, well, we ran, do you remember this part though? We ran out of backpacks. I know. And Jonathan comes back and he doesn't have a shirt on. I know. And I said, um, what happened to your shirt? And he said, well, I gave it to the guy over there. And then he tells me that I have to take my shirt off because he needs it because he needs me to give it to the guy that didn't have clothes. And so I did. So here we were in the car. Now Jonathan and I don't have shirts on. I think I wore like a sports bra that day. Uh, (laughs) You literally were in your sports bra. Yeah, we were literally, yeah. So anyway, I mean, so that was, that told you everything you needed to know about Jonathan because he literally took the shirt off of his back. And not only did he take the shirt off of his back, he made me take my shirt off. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, um, so yeah. So that was my indoctrination of your son in the course of it. And so Jonathan and I had like this immediate connection from that experience um, because he was real. And I, I appreciated that because like I said, you know, not everybody, not everybody reacts like that. And one of the things that I had to quickly realize in doing these projects is to mm-hmm. not expect people to react a certain way because it's not for everybody. Right. I yeah. know. It's truly not for everybody. No. And and you know you want people to have a good experience at it you want people to be exposed to it but you want everybody also to feel really comfortable so it's it's truly not for everyone um and i and i i take whatever i get you know if yeah. people have a great experience great if people come and they do it because they need their community service hours great it is whatever it is for everybody it um, is for me it's always like I feel like at the end of each project, I feel like I've just accomplished the greatest thing that I've ever done. Like that's how I feel. Like, and I've done a lot of great things. I mean, I've yeah. I've changed people's lives in the course of you know doing some cases that you know they'll never have to work again. And you know, like I've I've done some good things, but somehow you know that obviously short of like you know having children and all of those things. But yeah, you know, you I feel like it's it's literally one of the best things that I've ever done. So it really is. Yeah. I mean. And I love to watch the kids that are truly affected by it because, for example, I'll never know what Corey, how Corey would be, or his friends who have continuously come year after year after year after year. I'll never know how they would have been had they never had that exposure, continuous exposure over a long period of time. Like, how did it humble them? And yeah. how did it how form did it them? How did it yeah. shape and form them as, yeah. as human beings? And I'll, I'll tell you that the first year that Corey was in college, and I remember it was the first project where he wasn't going to be there. And my daughter and I were like so sad because we're like, oh, Corey's not going to be Corey's first project that he's going to miss. And uh, he drove all the way home from Arizona to come. Shut the to front door. Up, he and did? he did it to surprise me. Aww. Oh, my God. Were you a mess? Yeah, I was crying. That yeah, is so cool. Yeah. So. God. Yeah. So there you have it. Well, there we all, have well, it. We're all crying over yeah, here. Yeah, we so. are. I told you. I, I this know. Is a, this is what hit me. But I'll. But I think you want to go next time. <laughs> I, I'm open to it. Yeah, I think I might be similar to Brandy. I might be like a little nervous at first, but yeah, yeah, I'm open to you know helping, like for sure. So, but I think, I think last just so you can see how it operates, it's very, it, it, yeah. it, it's very, it's a little magical just, because on Saturday when we all meet, I mean, it is, it's an operation. Yeah. Like no joke. Packing it is all a, the backpacks and everything. Everyone's yeah. having a good time and just the banter back and forth between strangers is beautiful. Yeah. Um, Kim is in her element. She's busy. She's working. But she's like, hey, how are you? you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she's like alive there, you know? Yes. Like you said, but it's, it's her, very it's cool. her element. Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, as we are just, you know, weeping yeah. over here, <laughs> why don't you give a shout out to where can people donate? Where can people find you? What What's the social media that you, that we can get all this information? Okay. Um, so, well, we have, we have everything, you know, we have a website, (laughs) we have Instagram, we have Facebook pages. So our Instagram page. And a hundred percent of the the donations donations go go, to the homeless, you guys. They do. Yeah. So, um, so our Instagram site is Operation Helping Hands SoCal. Okay. Um, and then our, um, website is OHHSC.com. Okay. 
there's always a donate button on and on on actually on the website as well as on uh, my Facebook page. So yeah. we have Operation Helping Hands Facebook page, um, which you can also find under that same website. There's links to it. Um, and there's a donate page on both the Facebook page as well as on the website. Um, so that's how you can find Operation Helping Hands. And then if you need to find me, um, you can also find me, um, at valentinelawgroup.com. Yes. Um, and if anybody is interested in going to pass out backpacks, we our do next it, project is our December. Our next project's December. December 2nd and 3rd. Oh, okay, perfect. perfect. Yeah. That's a good weekend. So December second and third, and it's a it's a two parter. So it's Saturday. It goes and by or, quickly. Yes, it does. So Saturday and or Sunday, you can come. So Saturday starts at ten o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, that's the day that we do assembly. We're done by noon, so yes. don't be late. You guys, it's so fast. Yeah, because <laughs> we have it down to a fine art at yes. this point. Um, and so uh, and then Sunday we come earlier. We come at eight thirty in the morning because we have to get you know everybody off and shuffled in there um, onto their various legs. And you can go anywhere from. San Diego, Long LA. Beach, LA, Santa Ana, Anaheim, you know, we're, we're doing Costa Mesa. Like there's lots of different places that we're going. So, you know, it does, you don't have to be off on a long day. Um, you could do a shorter trip if you'd like, or you can do the longer trip as well. Yes. Great. And we'll put some hyperlinks <sighs> on our website so you guys can reach out to her if you didn't catch those sites yeah we'll put everything we'll put everything on our website and on facebook when we release this episode yeah this has been amazing it really has your story is amazing yeah i'm still still like i'm I'm over i think after you know i think we need to recap like this is just yeah unreal so thank you very much for coming yes thank you so much and taking your Yes, and thank you for taking your time out and your busy schedule. I know this is yeah, we really it's fucking eleven it. o'clock at night. It is <laughs> after eleven, but it is a story worth told. It definitely. is, and, and girl, I, get that book. Yeah, yes, right. get you a book. <laughs> I love you and thank you. I love you too. Thank you okay, so much. thanks guys. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Yeah.